Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley Fox, and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have Cam Fraser with me. Cam is a professional sex coach, certified sexologist, counselor, and tantric yoga teacher. His work integrates scientifically accurate information about sexual health with sacred sexuality teachings. As a coach, Cam helps men go beyond surface level sex and into full bodied pleasure free of anxiety and shame. Cam, can you please tell the listeners who brought you to this work? Uh, so this is a long winded answer, but I'll keep it uh, brief. Um, the, the first light bulb moment for me was, um, was my own sexuality and my own um, sexual concerns, I suppose. So as a young man, as a 16, 17, 18 year old, I was bouncing between uh, you know, self-diagnosed premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction. And um, you know, I was in this really, some might say toxic, masculine kind of headspace and culture. I was a collegiate athlete in America. So I was part of that locker room um, mentality with regards to uh, with regards to like sexual expression, right? The the phrase that often comes to mind is every hole is a goal and um, quantity over quality. So that was very much like my my teenage kind of masculine machismo um, attitude towards you know towards interacting with young women. And I guess because I was having some sexuality issues like I was watching a lot of porn as well and and uh, I kind of masked all of this this you know mental health stuff and um, ego stuff and you know the environment that I was in I kind of masked it all with a lot of alcohol so I was I was just drinking every weekend I was you know and a week a weekend was you know Thursday to Monday Um, (laughs) so it was and so it was just like it, it was like four years of that in in university and college and I was playing, um, I was a collegiate athlete, so I was playing soccer and it wasn't until I um, seriously injured my back. I actually injured my back as a, as a, um, in my mid-teens and then kind of re-aggravated that injury. Um, it, was a, it was a fracture in my lower back. And as part of my rehabilitation, I had to do clinical Pilates and um, my clinical Pilates instructor said, you should try yoga as well. And so it was through yoga um, and by proxy like meditation and breath work and things that are, you know, kind of accompany yoga and you know, yoga practice that I actually slowed down for the first time in my life. I actually like, you know, listened to my body, noticed that I was feeling all this stuff, stuff that I'd been like really suppressing and pushing aside because, you know, as a young man, you don't express your emotions. You don't talk about what's going on internally for you. Uh, at least that's what I kind of thought at the time. And so there's many times like halfway through a yoga session, I'd break down in tears or I'd have all this rage kind of build up in me from seemingly nowhere, but it was just because I'd repressed it for so long. And by you know, letting go of tension in my body and, and unlocking these pockets of tightness, um, which had obviously been stored emotions, things were starting to surge up for me and I, I had to deal with them. I had to process them. And so I started seeing my own counselor and I started kind of going on this journey of just kind of like self-discovery, I suppose. And, um, and so that was like this big wake up call for me, like, whoa, like look at how you're relating to yourself. Look how you're treating other people. Um, like super inauthentic, um, just not being, just not a healthy space. And so I, as I kind of did this and I processed my emotions and I started to like 
listen to my body more and I started to become more comfortable in my own skin, I noticed that I wasn't having as many issues sexually. I was able to connect with the young women I was being sexual with. I was, you know, didn't rely on porn so much because I was more comfortable with my own kind of sexual experience. And so things started to really improve and snowball. And I was like, oh, this is super interesting. Like I'm doing this work somatically, you know, through physical practices. Uh, but I was also studying psychology at the time. And I was like, they're, they're kind of working towards the same end goal, like transformation and, and kind of overall health. One's just doing it with the body, one's doing it with the mind. So I started really investing in and being interested in like human behavior and human sexuality and, and sexology in particular. And so I wanted to, I guess I wanted to like have a finger in both pies, so to speak. I, I wanted to keep on going down like the yoga route and the body-based route, but I was also really interested in like the academic side of things and like what's going on in the mind and in the brain. Uh, and so I traveled a lot. I, I went and did like some Tantra stuff in India. I went and did some yoga things in um, Southeast Asia. And, and then I made my way back to Australia eventually and did my um, postgraduate degrees in um, counseling and, and sexual health. And, and it took me a little while. I was a yoga teacher for a little bit. And I kind of, you know, the way I t it described my yoga classes now is like a sex ed class with a little bit of yoga thrown in is essentially what I was doing. Um, and so I, I eventually kind of got to the point where I was like niching in what I wanted to do. And, and that ended up being sex coaching, which allows me to use a bunch of different modalities from what I've got experience with, which is like a little bit of massage, yoga therapy, um, you know, study a little bit of Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, but it allows me to bring all of that into my practice, which maybe you know clinical therapy or or a counselling or or psychosexual therapy wouldn't allow me to do. Talk therapy is great, but I find it quite limiting and restrictive, and um, and so the coaching hat that I wear now is it it allows me to kind of draw on all of those experiences, and and I, I specifically work with men. I thought, what can I speak into with you know really from an authoritative place, and and that's my own lived experience, which is as, as a cisgender heterosexual white dude and that's you know the the kind of um the audience the avatar that i speak to um with my work is me 10 years ago when i was going through all that stuff when i was relying on booze when i was watching a lot of porn when i was really unhealthily expressing my sexuality i try and talk to to me the guy that i needed to hear from 10 years ago is is the, is the type of guy that i try and shop on online and in person today and um, and that seems to resonate with, with a lot of men, you know, a lot of guys, I feel like regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of kind of you know, where, what country they went to, what culture they're in, there's a similar experience. There's like this um, lack of awareness and understanding of their own sexuality, um, a lot of pressure to be a certain thing with regards to their masculinity and not a lot of people modeling what healthy sexual ex expression and sexuality can look like. So um, that's what I try and do today. That's how I got to the work is in a kind of roundabout way. I snaked my way into it and, and it's, I'm still fine tuning. I'm still kind of figuring out what it, what it is that I want to look like. But yeah, it's, um, it's enjoyable and it's been a fun ride. Mm. And that's what I love about your work so much because I feel like in a way, myself and you are kind of mirroring each other. And I, I integrate the yoga and my practice is more of a speaking therapy, but with home tasks that might be yoga and mindfulness and things like that. And I'm doing it from a female perspective because I am one, as you're doing it from a male perspective because you are one. And I loved just to hear you talking about how yoga in turn has 
created a change in your sex life because that's something that I preach about all the time. But again, I am in a female body. So it's just really nice to hear that it, you've also had the same experiences practically in your life as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I credit yoga as being, um, yeah, one of those initial light bulb moments for me. And although I don't have like a really strong yoga practice today, it's kind of morphed into a different type of physical practice. I still have elements of it in, you know, in that physical practice that I've kind of curated for myself. And and I still teach a little bit, you know, I still teach a little bit of um, specific stretching exercises here and there. I try to steer clear actually of the word yoga when I'm, when I'm working with men um, yeah. because it, ten, uh, it tends to be like I'll get them in through like the stretching and through the physical exercises and I'll steer clear of like any spiritual language. Uh, and then as they kind of already got through the door and they're kind of invested, then I'll start to introduce some of the more energetic type of language and the more spiritual language. But yeah, to, to begin with, I, I kind of steer clear of the, the, the woo, I suppose you would call it. And, uh, and I hit them with the, the logic and the, the scientific facts first and then bring that in later on. Yeah. And I don't even think it has to be yoga. I say to my clients, I want you to do one thing a week where you tune into your body. And that can be, it could just be going for a walk, but really tuning into the way that your feet touch the ground. It could be yoga, mm. it could be stretching. It could even be a weight practice, but with the intention of tuning into the body rather than bulking the muscles. Um, so I think any of those channels are a way in to doing the same thing in which we're talking about, which is focusing on the body really. Totally, just like building awareness of sensations and and particularly i try to encourage men to like focus on pleasure like i feel like a lot of guys are scared of pleasure like they're scared of experiencing like legitimate full-bodied pleasure because to like and this is like i speak from my own lived experience and from talking to a lot of guys about their sexuality like to be a quote unquote guy means to be like the the doer of a sexual experience, to be the active participant, the person yes. who's who's giving pleasure to someone else, not the person who's who's feeling pleasure, who's experiencing pleasure. Guys, you know, they, they experience gratification, sure. And that's what that's what a lot of men are really familiar with, is that like five second sticky white crotch sneeze at the the peak of their or the pinnacle of their kind of sexual experience. And that's a lot of guys feel like think that that's their their entirety of their sexual experience right um this really limited uh kind of five second peak um and so i, I really encourage guys to like just drop in and, and notice where you feel pleasure in your body and it doesn't have to be explicitly sexual but just like notice the sensation of you touching something with you know with your hands with your fingertips or notice the sensation of eating something you know really slowly and mindfully or like you said beautifully going for a walk and and doing it bare feet and noticing the sensation of grass or moss or dirt in between your toes and just focusing a little bit more on these experiences of pleasure i find can start to then encourage them in a sexual context to just take the focus off that peak off that end goal uh, and and be a bit more in the moment be a bit more in that sensation of pleasure either by themselves or with their partner I love what you called it, a crotch sneeze. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's a, a five-second sticky white crotch sneeze, yeah. And yeah, I agree with everything in which you're saying. I experience it a lot when I'm in doing relationship therapy, and quite often the man is saying, oh, I can't make her orgasm, I can't make her climax. And it's like, yeah, you're involved in the process, but it's not up to you to do that. 
You know, it's it's not you making anything happen. Maybe you're a helping hand, but you're not creating that. And I think if we take that off the kind of hierarchy, there won't be so much pressure. So there can be more enjoyment. And what else can be possible if we're not completely focusing on that one end goal? Mm, yeah, yeah. There's like this, um, like a light bulb moment for for guys when I talk to them um, is when I share with them stuff that women have shared with me, which is like, there's a lot of women that feel pressured by their male partners to have an orgasm because it's like the guy's job, quote unquote job, to give her the orgasm. And as soon as guys go, oh my God, like you mean the pressure that I'm putting on her because I feel like it's my job is actually stopping her from orgasming. And then they're just kind of like, you kind of see the cogs turning They're like, oh my God, I've been sabotaging this whole experience, you know, because of, and it's not from a place of like, malice because guys you know and this is something I, I i like to talk about a lot which is guys care about the sexual experience right but they care in like a kind of a warped way they it's kind of like the um it's kind of a caring but a pl- from driven from ego rather than from like you know um i don't know from from another place <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's like you know guys want to want to give that orgasm because it kind of validates them as a guy and that but but there's still that care there. They just kind of care from the wrong, with the wrong reason, I suppose. So I try and shift that for a lot of men. It's like, look, instead of trying to force her to have an orgasm, so to speak, by by making it your job and then getting upset if she doesn't orgasm, um, how about focus on the pleasure that you both experience? And, and I often say to guys, the more pleasure you open yourself up to experiencing, the more pleasure your partner is going to feel as well. If you're kind of just focusing on that kind of peak experience, that that little snippet of pleasure that you can experience at the top of this kind of graph, then you know, that's that's what you're limiting her kind of experience to as well. But if you drop into and really expand and open up your experience of pleasure, you're gonna you know you're gonna encourage and invite your partner to do the same as well. Um, and I I call that. Uh, like a sexual leadership practice is like you know you're leading not from a place of hierarchy not from a place of like delegation or, or you know dominating but from a place of example it's kind of a bit more of a lateral leadership where you open and by you doing that you kind of invite and encourage your partner to do the same and, and drop into that experience together yeah i think it's about the journey and not the destination it sounds cheesy but that's what's coming to me as you're speaking and people are so often so quick to want to get to the destination because that is what gives them gratification points and fulfills the ego as you're saying and yeah if we're taking it back to how women are feeling like you were speaking about then there's so much guilt attached to it you know guilt because oh he he didn't make me orgasm and then I felt really guilty or then I had to fake it because I feel guilty if you know his face drops when he doesn't make me a climax so then we just have a culture of guilt in sex which is never never a good thing and also faking it Mm, which is what we don't want yeah and I I often share with heterosexual couples like just I just invite them to to kind of help unravel all of this to take ejaculation off the table so like if you're in a heterosexual relationship, something I want to encourage you to do is just like spend two weeks, still have sex, but don't like intentionally make the decision for the guy in that relationship not to master, uh, not to ejaculate. Mm-hmm. So 
the reason why I encouraged this is because when you take that off the table, it starts to open up a lot of stories, right? It kind of takes the lid off a lot of these stories that we don't tend to think about. The first is like, oftentimes ejaculation is framed as the end of a sexual experience. Like I'm sure a lot of people will relate to this. Once he's come, sex is over, right? Roll over, have a cigarette, fall asleep. But but by by intentionally not ejaculating, right? By having sex, but to the point of not coming, not, not ejaculating, you start to go, well, how do we know when we're finished? What, what do we do? Like what signifies the end of you know, a sexual encounter? Is it when you've orgasmed? Is it when you just kind of get tired? Is it when you kind of have this agreed upon slowing down? Like it, it starts to give you a bunch of opportunity. Um, like I, this is kind of like the symbolic um, the, the, or the symbolism of ejaculation, I suppose I'll call it, like the unspoken symbolism of ejaculation. Um, but it also starts to bring up this uh, internal dialogue of like, oh, he didn't ejaculate. Does that mean he didn't enjoy himself? Does that mean he didn't, you know, he wasn't experiencing pleasure? Did, oh God, if he didn't enjoy himself and experience pleasure, if he didn't come, does that mean I'm not hot enough? Or does that mean he doesn't find me attractive? Or does that mean there's something wrong with him as well? Does that mean that, you know, he can't come? Or, or you know, it, it brings up all these internal internal dialogues, especially for, for women um, because of this, you know, the symbolism of ejaculation. So uh, I definitely encourage experimenting with taking ejaculation off the table because once it's taken off the table you're left asking what else is there what what else can we do and that's a really beautiful question especially if you're able to lean into that curiosity of like oh what else can we do you know what else is there for us to do let's explore that let's you know lean into that curiosity and, and kind of go down the rabbit hole and see what else there is I love that. It already brings in so much novelty and especially now with COVID and people being stuck together for well over a year now. Um, I know sex lives, a lot of people are feeling like they're in a rut. And by doing something simple like that, taking ejaculation off the table, the sex is going to look different. There probably be more intimacy, more variety. There's more option for choice because it isn't just this kind of story that has been played over and over. So I think that's such a wonderful idea. Yeah, I love that. And it's also making me think about um, erectile issues. And you're talking about how if the man doesn't climax, the women might be thinking, oh, am I not hot enough? Is there something wrong with me? And the same thing is, um, just, yeah, it's the same when it comes to erectile dysfunction. So when men aren't getting hard as hard as they have before or as hard as they maybe could do, women seem to take it as a personal affront to them when the majority, nearly all of the time, it has nothing to do with them. But the way in which they respond can have such a negative experience on how quickly the man is going to get his erections back in the future. Because if there's anger or there's more pressure, then that is just going to feed in this loop. And it's going to be so hard to bring back the level of erections that has been there in the past. Yeah, kind of equate this to... Um, or it's a similar experience to what we were talking about before, like the pressure that women feel men put onto them in order to orgasm is yeah. kind of similar to the pressure that men kind of feel that they put on themselves as well, um, but also that they feel their partners, their women are putting onto them in order to have an erection, right? And I, I kind of call this the fear of the flaccid cock, 
right? There's this fear of like, oh God, what does it mean if he's not erect? Does it mean that I'm not hot enough? Does it mean there's something wrong? Does it mean there's something wrong with him? And a lot of guys are in their own head going, oh my God, what the fuck's wrong with me? Like, why can't I get it up? I'm so attracted to this person. Um, you know, what's, what's wrong? Am I broken? And so there's a lot of like, there's a lot of anxiety and fear around not getting an erection or not maintaining an erection. Um, and something that I like to share is like, you, you know, you're an erect penis and a flaccid penis, they don't change in terms of the amount of nerve endings that they have in them. You can still experience the same amount of pleasure in a flaccid penis there that you can from an erect penis. Like, you know, if guys are, are struggling to, to get an erection, it's like, it doesn't detract from any pleasure that you can experience. You can, you can still enjoy and touch and stimulate the nerve endings in a flaccid cock and still get pleasure from it and you can you can even still orgasm and climax from and ejaculate from from a, a flaccid pain as well so like that's one thing to be mindful of and, and the second thing is like a, a bit of education around what you can do with a flaccid penis as well like there's just exactly. all the like all the porn that we watch all the education that we get it's always an erect penis right and it's like and it's sex is dependent upon it and so we don't we never really get any sex ed around like hey you've got a flaccid penis in front of you what can you do with it what are some things how can you touch it how can you you can still penetrate with a flaccid penis there's still things that you can do with it um and still find it you know enjoyable and and um for both partners so a little bit of googling as well can be can be really helpful in those situations but that's that's like a a workshop that i like to do is like okay we've got some flaccid penises i've i've got a prop in front of me as well which is just like a flaccid penis prop. (laughs) i just do some you know do some demonstrations with it because there's so many things that we can we can do but we just limit ourselves because we've been told what sex quote unquote should look like and for the most part it looks like right stereotypically a an erect penis but um yeah. yeah, I like to I like to say to people, um, like, what's what does a normal penis look like? And I do this workshop where we get some plasticine and some play doh, and I, I I just give it to the workshop participants. I say, I just want you to make a normal penis for me, you know, and and that's a, that's the only instruction I give them. And so I get a lot of like questions of, oh, I'm good to, you know, how big do I make? Like, what are you? Are we adding testicles to it? Like, is it erect? Do we make it flaccid? And so when we debrief and I get a, I get a whole bunch of things um, in, in response to the, the kind of Play-Doh exercise. But one of the questions is, is a normal penis erect or is a normal piece of penis flaccid? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if we think about the amount of time, right, percentage wise that a penis spends in an erect state or in a flaccid state, then we'd probably say a normal penis looks like a flaccid penis. But how much of that is represented in, you know, media and porn and art and things like that. So, yeah, it's just we have, we have such limiting beliefs around like what sex is and, and should be. Uh, and if we deviate from that, then all these guilt and shame, those things you were mentioning before start to bubble up to the surface. And, and then that can be this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of, Oh God, I don't look like that. Or I, you know, the sex isn't looking the way it's quote unquote supposed to be or, or what it quote unquote should look like. And now, you know, that's going to perpetuate this you know, anxiety and, and shame and pressure. So it becomes this downward spiral, unfortunately. And I love that the people in your workshop are asking those questions because I was assuming everyone would just make these like big, hard penises, but they're asking, what, which one is it? What does it look like? So I think that's yep. progress already. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, I also love that you brought in that you can have sex with a flaccid penis. You know, if we're talking about heterosexual sex, yeah, it's probably a bit harder to insert it and you kind of thread it in and it takes a bit of time, but that can be done so sensually and connectively. And the penis may 
get hard through that process or it may not and it doesn't matter again it is another way to experiment sexually and to mix things up a little bit so if you are in this situation um try to see it through the lens of curiosity well what can we do what what other fun can we have what can we get pleasure from obviously if just as a disclaimer if you have started um finding it hard to get erections kind of out of the blue and it's been happening for a while maybe go to the doctor because it can be an underlying medical issue but you know more often than not it isn't um so cam i was wondering if we could talk a little bit about ejaculation versus orgasm for um for men because for a lot of the listeners i imagine they think that the two things are that of the same yeah yeah they pretty much happen simultaneously for a lot of men and um and that's because it's kind of what we learn we 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 you know we explore our bodies, we masturbate and, and we masturbate to the point of um, ejaculating and orgasm and ejaculation kind of happen almost at the same time. Um, but they're actually two separate physiological processes and we know this, we've, we've kind of studied it. And um, ejaculation can be broken down into to two phases, emission and expulsion. I, this is a, a poor analogy, I don't really like this analogy, but it, it's apt. It's kind of like loading the gun uh, is the uh, emission phase. You kind of put the bullet in the gun and the expulsion phase is shooting the gun and, and the ejaculation happens. Um, so it's very like um, sympathetic nervous system oriented as well. It's, it's in fact mediated by what's called the pedendal nerve, which is a nerve that runs through the perineum, that space in between the genitals and the anus. And it, it, essentially it's a survival mechanism. Ejaculation is a survival mechanism. And we kind of think about this um, with regards to human, you know, ancestry, it, it was important to ejaculate in order to ensure the passing on of your genes and in order to ensure the survival of the, the human species. So even today, you know, ejaculation is still a, a survival mechanism. It's still mediated by the sympathetic nervous system, which is that kind of fight or flight response. But orgasm is totally is totally different right and and it's different depending on which professional you ask so the last time i checked there's 27 different clinical definitions of orgasm which for some people might be like well that's just bloody useless um and but i think it, that's fantastic that there's so many definitions of, of orgasm depending on who you ask like a cardiologist might say it's an elevation in heart rate a physiologist might say it's the squeezing of the muscles the, re, the, the contractions um, an endocrinologist might say it's the secretion of certain hormones from the glands. Um, you know, a psychologist might say it's a subjective experience of peak pleasure. Um, but the, the, um, the non-consensus of like what an orgasm is, I think is really fantastic because it, it allows us to kind of explore that. It's like, sweet, what is an orgasm? What can it be? What can I experience as orgasmic? And because we often conflate ejaculation with orgasm, like I was speaking about before, that kind of five seconds sticky white crotch sneeze, that genital sneeze at the peak of a graph, um, is it tangles like orgasm in with that experience. But instead of thinking of orgasm as this kind of peak experience, if we can think of it as an orgasmic state and kind of everything that we experience within this orgasmic state is orgasmic, is an orgasm, is, is, is highly pleasurable, then we can start to disentangle those kind of two experiences, the, the ejaculation and the orgasm. Um, and often, you know, this oversimplifies it because our sexual experience and function is kind of this beautiful interplay between the two branches of the autonomic nervous system. 
But for simplicity's sake, if we say ejaculation is the sympathetic nervous system and we say orgasm is the parasympathetic nervous system and we look at like what things happen when we ejaculate, such as like um, elevated heart rate and um, tensing and squeezing of the pelvic floor muscles and um, oftentimes you know, a lot of men will breathe into their chest or even hold their breath and almost like squeeze and push in order to have this ejaculation if we took that cluster of characteristics and we took them out of the erotic sense and we applied them to just some random guy walking down the street and all of a sudden he started like clenching and squeezing and holding his breath and tightening up and kind of you know elevated heart rate the temperature goes up we think he was having a anxiety attack right we think that he'd be having this this really you know intense experience that doesn't look very pleasurable. And oftentimes I say an ejaculation is really like a pleasurable anxiety attack. And it, it shares a lot of symptoms, shares a lot of characteristics because of that sympathetic nervous system activation. So we think about, okay, how can we experience then an orgasm without an ejaculation? One of the easiest ways to do that is just bypass or at least trying to mitigate all those experiences. So instead of heading down the sympathetic nervous system route, Let's talk about things and experience things that have to do with the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system, which is your rest and digest re response. It's your relaxation response. It's breathing deep into the diaphragm. It's relaxing the body. Uh, it's slowing the heart rate down. It's very expansive. It's very diffuse, right? The parasympathetic branches of the nervous system goes out to the fingers, goes out to the face, goes out to the extremities, these quote unquote non-survival or non-essential parts of the body. Uh, so if you can like, do things sexually that facilitate or encourage that experience, then you can start to play around with that orgasmic state. And if you can stay in that branch of your nervous system and bypass the sympathetic branch as much as possible, then you actually won't ejaculate. You, you, you can't ejaculate because you're not engaging that part of your nervous system. So neurologically, you, you're not going to have an ejaculatory orgasm. Uh, and you can start to have different types of orgasms. Again, you can neurologically, we can kind of engage in a couple more, um, which I won't go into, but you can start to play around with what that looks like for you and what that feels like for you. What does a peak experience of pleasure feel like for you? And what does that orgasmic state feel like personally for you? Um, and one of the ways you can do that is like I said, by slowing down, by deep breathing, by relaxing, by doing all these things that meditation and yoga and pilates and all these body-based modalities really encourage you to do um, bring some of those principles and elements into your sexual experience and, and just kind of notice how things start to change yeah so that makes a lot of sense why people with penises get really sleepy after ejaculation because it's a crash from adrenaline right a crash crash from that sympathetic nervous system yeah, there's like um, there's some neurotransmitters that get sent, um, you know, into the brain when we ejaculate. So there's this peak in dopamine and oxytocin when we come, um, and that's, I mean, makes a lot of sense. That it, it'd be evolutionarily stupid if ejaculation felt terrible, right? We we wouldn't want to do it again. So the dopamine ensures that ejaculation is pleasurable and we want to do it more um, the oxytocin is a pair bonding chemical so oftentimes we're ejaculating with another person so we want to create a little bit of that connection with this other person but what's interesting is after we ejaculate what happens in terms of neurotransmitters is a third one comes into the picture which is called prolactin and prolactin and dopamine have an inverse relationship so 
when one is high, the other is low. And we see this that after an ejaculation has happened, prolactin spikes. So at the point of ejaculation, it's a high in dopamine. And then immediately after they switch and prolactin um, surges. And prolactin, if you're familiar with it, is responsible for lactation in um, breastfeeding mothers. But it's also a suppressant of sexual urges and desires. And it's actually what's released in our body when we feel satiated, when we feel like we've just like after a big meal as well, we get this dopamine rush of eating something really tasty. And then we just want to like, oh, and relax and chill out afterwards. It's that feeling of like feeling full and satisfied um, that prolactin is responsible for in, in all bodies. Um, and so one of the reasons why guys have this kind of droopy relaxed kind of feeling after ejaculating is because of that prolactin there's a few other things involved and um but that is one of the one of the main reasons so does an orgasm without ejaculation a parasympathetic climax does that feel different than an orgasm that you would have with ejaculation so this is an interesting question because some people are of the opinion that like a quote-unquote true orgasm or a quote-unquote real orgasm has to involve an ejaculation I kind of don't have that opinion like I said I, I like this idea that orgasm can be kind of whatever you want it to be um, and so like there are some and if I speak personally and from the clients that I've worked with there are some non-ejaculatory orgasms which feel exactly like an ejaculation like some guys have even said to me Oh my god i thought i ejaculated and then i kind of looked around and there was nothing there and, and i realized i could keep going um so th there's some experiences that definitely feel like that other experiences um for example like a prostate orgasm which totally engages a different part of the nervous system um, and it engages actually what's called the hypogastric nerve um bypasses that sympathetic branch of the nervous system almost entirely and so it feels way more diffuse and way more full-bodied and, um, and, and a lot more intense because of that as well. So, so the, unfortunately I can't give you a simple answer and say, <laughs> yes, they're totally different, but, um, but there are, there are similarities and there are also very big differences. It just kind of depends on the type of orgasm that you're having. Um, it's not like we have ejaculatory orgasms and non-ejaculatory orgasms. They're kind of like umbrella terms for all these different orgasms that we can have within those, those two umbrella terms. Mm -hmm. And if um, the listeners are interested in kind of prostate play, can you tell them a little bit more information about that? Because I feel like it, it, to a lot of people, it seems this kind of like scary thing where lots of people are interested in, but they don't know how to go about even considering what to do or what the purpose is. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the prostate is a little walnut sized gland on the underside of your bladder and you can access it or you can engage it or you can stimulate it in two ways. One is through pressing firmly and deeply into the perineum, which is again, that space in between the genitals and the anus. It's kind of like sometimes called external stimulation of the prostate, um, external because you're like stimulating it from not from inside your body, I suppose. Um, I don't necessarily recommend that because you've got to press pretty firmly and you're pressing through muscle, you know, your pelvic diaphragm muscles and things like that. But if that's what you want to do, you're, you're welcome to experiment. And I do recommend experimenting with it. Try, for example, um, either you or your partner kind of pressing your fist um, kind of up into that perineum space and even just kind of massaging it with your knuckles or even uh, vibrating your fist, kind of like shaking your fist back and forth um, as it's pressed up into that perineum space can be one way of like 
starting to notice that stimulation of the prostate. Uh, obviously, the more direct way of stimulating the prostate is, is like through your anus. So in, this is sometimes called internal stimulation. And um, it's very similar in position to a uh, female body person's G-spot, if we think about the anatomy of the vagina and the vaginal canal. So if you've got a guy who's lying on his back and you're... Um, you're going, you're inserting your finger into the anus and you press up towards the belly button, kind of exactly the same as you would to find the G spot of a person with a vagina pressing, you know, or, you know, putting a finger into the, into the vaginal entrance and pressing up into her belly button and finding that G spot there. It's almost an exact same position. So, um, you should be able to find a little ridged, um, area, which will swell and engorge with, um, arousal and stimulation. And, um, it's, typically quite pleasurable. Like I said before, it engages a nerve called the hypogastric nerve, which innervates the prostate. And the, I mean, there's, there's heaps of reasons for prostate massage and stimulation. Um, I'll just kind of like bullet point them here and we can dive into whatever you find interesting. Um, it's really good for prostate health and sexual, like, you know, reproductive function. Prostate has a lot of ducts that come from it, prostatic ducts, which, um, which carry prostatic fluid, which makes up part of your seminal fluid, which is the fluid that carries the sperm um, and, and is ejaculated. And, and so if you're trying to conceive or if you're just interested in taking care of your sperm health and seminal health, um, then regularly massaging the prostate can be a really helpful way of clearing those ducts out and starting to um, ensure the prostate gland is doing its job, I suppose. Um, and it can help with inflammation as well. And we know that prostatitis and prostate inflammation is correlated with prostate cancer in the long run. So just a regular massage, kind of like getting a massage in any part of your body is helpful in the long run for kind of maintaining that, that part of your body's health. Um, but then also uh, it's really helpful for um, like another practice called anal dearmoring. So we hold a lot of tension and tightness in our ass, in our anus, um, particularly the two sphincters, one under conscious control, one not under conscious control. And when we, like when we get scared, you know, we, we tighten, we tighten up through the, through the pelvic diaphragm and through the anus. So starting to release tension from that part of the body, especially through the pelvic area can be helpful for lasting longer, for example, right? We spoke before about how ejaculation is kind of this squeezing, pushing, tensing sensation. And a lot of guys are already tense and tight through their ass and through their pelvis and through that part of their body. So if you can de-armor, quote unquote, de-armor, or like just release tension from this area of your body, you're already giving yourself a fighting chance to kind of experience more sensation through that area and to last longer and to not build up to that tension so quickly. Um, another reason why stretching is really important like before you have sex or just in general because you're releasing tension from that part of your body um and then it opens yourself up to prostate orgasms as well which i've spoken about a little bit and a prostate orgasm as i alluded to before doesn't involve an ejaculation so you can have multiple prostate orgasms and um and another really powerful reason for experimenting with prostate play and just anal stimulation in general is and this is my opinion and the opinion of a few other people, it makes you a better lover. And the reason why it makes you a better lover is because you have now an experiential understanding of what it's like to be penetrated, right? To have 
something or someone inside of you, which typically if you're the person with a penis in a heterosexual relationship, you're the person doing the penetrating, you're penetrating your partner. Um, it's a generalization, but it tends to be true. And if you've never been penetrated yourself, then you only have a conceptual intellectual understanding of what it's like to be penetrated. You don't have a lived bodily experience. So yes, you can learn how slow you need to go and how gentle you need to be and how much lube you need to have. But until you physically are penetrated either by your own finger or a toy or your partner, you don't really know, know, you know, what it is that needs to happen in order for you to be comfortable, for you to feel safe, for you to not be dry and and be lubed up and, and for the subtleties of, of that experience. So it tunes you in to those way, way more than just kind of talking about it and just trying to learn about it intellectually. So you, you empathize more with your partner. You literally have that experience that you can empathize with. So it, it makes you a better lover in that regard. Um, you become more attentive at least. So um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of reasons and, and those are kind of the main ones. Beautiful. And yeah, for the listeners, it's almost like this come hither motion with the fingers if you're trying to find that spot. And if you, you know, if you're interested in trying this, but it's kind of grossing you out a little bit, you can wear gloves you and use lots of lube and do what you feel comfortable with as cam said you can start with um a bit of perineum massage maybe that's like a good way in before you go into inserting anything through the anus so just yeah experiment be curious i think that's the takeaway from today's podcast be curious <laughs> yeah totally totally <laughs> I, I i've done like a two and a half hour workshop on prostate play before so i'm not gonna be able to I- explain everything here but yeah, yeah. definitely just go slow, warm up, use lube, be curious, uh, take your time. Like all, yeah. all the things that make for a good sexual experience, don't throw those out the window when, you, when you're doing a new sexual thing. Don't rush into something if you're still having this resistance, if you're still having these things come up for you. You, know, you, don't, have to, <laughs> you don't have to stick your whole fist in your partner's ass the first time that you do any type of you know, anal play. Like start with your pinky finger, start with a little knuckle or, you know, you know just take your time and go slow and, and, and just enjoy the experience. That's what it's for, it's for pleasure, right? If, you're, if it's not pleasurable, stop doing it. And breathe, lots yes, of breathing. Yes, 100%, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Cam, has been awesome having you on today. Can you please tell the listeners where they can find you? Yeah, the, the two ways you can find me is through my website, which is cam-fraser.com. And I'm also at the Cam Fraser on all social medias. I've just recently got Twitter and TikTok and <laughs> Facebook and all those other things. But um, my Instagram account is probably the easiest as well, um, at the Cam Fraser on Instagram. I try and be as educational as possible on there. So you'll probably learn something new if you jump onto my Instagram account. Yeah, Cam's Instagram is awesome. So I definitely recommend a follow. And yeah, I'll post all of that in the show notes page. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much. <laughs>